0: You know, I started this flying uh, uh, solo with Attorney Bernie a while, and we've bas- basically been setting up uh, our office and talking about why you should be a sole practitioner and all these kinds of things. But um, I've known these two gentlemen, uh, Gary and Matthew, now since our kids went to school together, and I've uh, started meeting with them on a on a, a regular basis to talk about some things. And it occurred to me that. Um, You know, people who go through life changes, and that's what basically I do, Um, people decide that they're going to chart a new course in their life, you know, often sit back and reflect on, you know, why am I doing it? Where am I going? Where does it start? Where does it end? become somewhat philosophical, and that kind of becoming somewhat philosophical about it, you know, changes the way that you approach things but philosophy and science don't always go together. Uh, I th- happen to think that they come very, very close sometimes if they're not being synonymous. So um, I thought we'd talk of a bit about this and, and for the next few sessions, we can expand on this topic and who knows, maybe maybe this will uh, turn into something, you know. Um, both Gary and and uh, Matthew will will tell us basically what their qualifications are um, but uh, it's important that it's important that they share with us just the general public their thoughts because scientists tend to talk among scientists and they write book for other scientists to read we want to know how do they get their knowledge you know into a wider area and maybe this is this is the way that we can start doing it so Now, I'm going to ask uh, Gary and Matthew to fill in a little bit, but from what I know, uh, Matthew has been living here in the United States now for quite a long time. Um, He was born in Switzerland. He's a UK and and, uh, Swiss nationality. And he has a fill from Oxford. Is that right, Matthews? Or was it That's Cambridge? Correct. It's Oxford, right? I didn't want to insult you with the Cambridge part, but I thought I just <laughs> needed needed to make sure. And then uh, uh, Gary, from what I can understand or r- recall, he was a, a Harvard undergrad, and then uh, he's got his no, no, no. He got his doctorate from Johns Hopkins. So, correct me, no,
1: please. Uh... Actually, a PhD at Carnegie Mellon. Okay. And I was a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard and Hopkins.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks th- Thanks for correcting me on that. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, could you basically tell us more about uh, what you guys have been writing? I understand you've been writing writing quite a few books lately. If you could just tell us about those books and also let us know how we can get, lay our hands on them if we want to educate ourselves a little bit more and help ourselves through some transition processes that we are facing.
2: So this is Matthew Kayser. Um, as Bernie said, I was born in Switzerland, but I was brought up most of my life in central England. I went to university in North Wales and studied zoology and applied zoology there. Then I did a biochemistry master's degree and then finally finished doing research at the University of Oxford where I got my um, PhD Phil, in um, biochemistry. I then came to America and did some postdoc work in Texas at MD Anderson Hospital, as well as um, then went, went to work at UC Irvine and other UC um, establishments for post um, I did do a fellowship in endocrinology as well um, at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. Um,
1: and I'm now working as a patent agent um, in a small um, patent law firm. I'm Gary Howard, and I was born and grew up in West Virginia. I attended West Virginia University to earn a, a bachelor's degree in zoology, also, and did a master's in biology, which was plant viruses. I then went to Carnegie Mellon University and got a PhD in cell and molecular biology, and then on to Harvard and Johns Hopkins to do postdoctoral fellowships. I spent a year at UCSF as a research biochemist, and then about 11 years in a couple of small biotech companies in the Bay Area. After that, I went to the Gladstone Institutes, which is affiliated with UCSF, and spent 22 or 23 years as a science editor and writer for Gladstone. For the last couple of years, I've been freelancing as a, a science editor and writer, and also writing my own books <laughs> okay um, well um, it was probably about uh, 15 years ago that um
2: gary came to me um you know our, our kids are still at school together you know they're probably about um, um either elementary or middle school um, age and he we had been working together to promote science in the local elementary schools as well as also the local uh, middle schools um and so we, we, we have sort of a, a background together of promoting science in layperson's terms. And um, Gary had co-authored a book um, on making and using antibodies, which was a a, a scientific um, textbook um, with another author. And he thought about making a new edition because there were a lot of new techniques in antibody synthesis and and creation that had come up since the previous edition was published in the nineties. So he decided, well, let's get together and see if we can do another book. Um, It was the same publisher, CRC Press, um, Taylor and Francis, who were the um, the publishers in um, Ocaratón in uh, Florida. Um, So we decided to write this book. Um, It came out in 2007. We had a lot of collaborating authors who contributed chapters to it. Um, And um, it it sold pretty well. Um, We even got the rights to copy it um, and sell it in China as a separate um, deal. We didn't see very much money coming out of that, unfortunately but anyway so we did that and then uh, a few years later they came back to us and said could you like would you like to do a second edition so we did do a second edition and that was more with expanded chapters and more chapters because more techniques had, had come about so that we put that to bed in 2012 and then a few years later you know Gary and I were kicking things around and you know wondering what to do and then um, Gary came up with the idea of um, writing a book about the San Francisco bay area like to um, expand on that
1: a bit. Yeah, so we th- thought we would write about the, the our bay right here because uh, we all know a good bit about it. But the really intriguing thing, I think, for both of us was that the bay wasn't always here. Uh, as we know, there's the San Andreas Fault, and we have earthquakes periodically. And clearly, there's a very large uh, landmass that's been moving north. And that in turn created the San Francisco Bay Area. But even more interestingly is to think that uh, in a few more million years, that movement hasn't stopped, and it's going to continue to carry that part of California north, even up to Washington State and Alaska. So the idea of making and making and unmaking of San Francisco Bay occurred to us. So we talked to CRC Press, who's been a good publisher for us, and the editor there suggested, why not do a series of those books? So we did the San Francisco Bay book, and that came out a few months ago. And uh, just in this last week, they publish San Diego Bay, The Making and Unmaking of San Diego Bay. And we are quite literally this weekend working on the page proofs to finish off the Puget Sound, which should publish in another few months. Uh, So that's that series. Um, Matt and I don't have anything else right now that we're thinking about. We're playing around with a few ideas, but we haven't landed on anything seriously. I mean, as Matt said, we've been long-term collaborators here um, and had a good time with it. It's, It's sort of like a hobby in a sense uh, it's fun to learn about these things. I tell you, I've learned an awful lot about geology and glaciers and faults and things that I never really knew about before. Um, and I will say that in addition to the books that I've done with Matt, I've done a few others with other people and or by, by myself. And uh, some of those have been published as well. And they're by diff- by different uh, publishers usually. So Perhaps we could talk about those at some point as well.
0: So here's what really got me intrigued. And that was when uh, Gary made a, gave a talk to our Rotary Club. And uh, because we've been members of Rotary for a while. And um, he talked about the subject of death, which was fascinating. I was, we were really intrigued. I was really intrigued by it. So. You know, there's a lot that we could say about that. And I'm, what I'm going to share with you is just a few talking points that, that I came up with. And I don't think we're going to get to all of them today, but it's just, just I, I want to give everyone a, a chance to see how fascinating the subject really is. Um, you know, the we, we need to understand the science of the concept underlying death. Um, is there a... Possible scientific explanation for what is consciousness, what is not conscious? Is consciousness scientifically evident like in, in, in other species, uh, be, uh, animal species or plant species? Or where does it stop? Um, is it possible to have a scientifically have a lingering consciousness after death? And then, of course, we always think of the future rather than the past. We want to know, did we have some kind of consciousness, uh, scientifically based consciousness before birth or, or in utero? So those, those are the kinds of things that we've been meeting and having coffee over. I don't know how far, guys, we've actually been able to further this, find out more. But basically, th- those are the areas that I'd like, like us to cover. So let's, let's get started with the first one. What is, and Gary, maybe you can just give us a thumbnail of what your talk was about to Rotary about death.
1: Well, the talk and the book were about the biology of death. And, you know, the first thing that, of course, comes to everyone's mind when you hear the word death is our own death, our own mortality. Uh, and it is the, one of the scariest things that we have. Even psychologists point out that this is one of the truly great fears, even of children. Um, Strangely enough, the people who fear death the least are those who are older than about 60 or 65. Maybe there's some sort of... uh, We resign ourselves to the, the idea and so forth. But in fact, death uh, affects life at many other levels. Uh, and that is at the cellular tissue, the individual we've just talked about, and even about species and populations. So we have lots of uh, death uh, influences, for example, in us. The fact that we have fingers is because the tissue between each of our digits uh, is, uh, dies off intentionally. Uh, that kind of programmed cell death is really important also for our immune system and we can talk about those later if you if you want so there there are all these different levels even up to uh, death has influenced life by foreclosing various options you know a whole species that's lost it goes extinct you no longer have those genes that can continue that species and uh The earth has suffered through at least five mass extinctions over the last three and a half or so billion years that life has been around. Um, And so those are times when perhaps 90 or more percent of all the living creatures on earth are killed off. So death influences influences us at many levels. I think one of the most intriguing was the one that I talked about a minute ago about fingers and immune system. Um, in fact, every cell in our body contains the genes for death programs. And the thing that's amazing to me is that life has usurped death and turned it into a mechanism that enables life to continue. And it allows us to develop, to reproduce, and actually survive. So I think that's uh, the, the, uh, the fact that life is able to do that is... Uh, in a philosophical sense is a very hopeful thing. I think it's sort of amazing to me, Um, but that's the sort of the general gist of the book. It also offers an opportunity to talk about a lot of questions about what is life? What is death? um, How do we know uh, when things are alive or when they're dead? um, About aging and the genetics of aging. Why do we age? Did it evolve? Um, where does life come from, um, lots of things like that. So a number of, it's not just that we die. There are a lot of other uh, questions that uh, the book covers.
0: So thank you, Gary. What about uh, uh, Matthew? Why don't you address um, the concept of, 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 of what you believe consciousness is? So I know we've had that kind of discussion, Um I remember us having a discussion as to, you know, whether there may be consciousness in plant life, for instance, and where does it start, where does it end.
2: Well, I think one thing that um, is important to understand is that the human brain is um, the biggest um, Mm -hmm. set of collection of neurons in the whole of life on earth and Essentially, the brain is trying to make sense of what's going on outside. And this happens in all organisms, of course. Um, they use their senses, their sight, their sound, smell, taste, etc., touch, to essentially build up a picture of the outside world. In other words, to understand what's going on and to be prepared for the unexpected. Um, and so as essentially your brain is always iterating and, and comparing, What's going on right now with what it's experienced in the past um, and essentially building up a picture of what's on the outside world. What I think um, that also is because there is a mechanism for that, it's making a model of the outside world. I think it can also make a model of the inside world, the the inner part of the brain. So it essentially is making um, an image, so to speak, or a, a thought process of what's going on inside your brain. And that—that that is what I think is consciousness. It's essentially making a, you know, observing what's going on inside your brain and um, working things out and seeing what needs to be done next.
0: Well, that's that's fascinating. You know, you, now you can see why uh, why I wanted these guys to come on, and I know we can discuss this at, at, at great length. But what what about the issue of when does that consciousness process? stop and why is it possible beyond what we fathom to be death meaning the brain stopping I suppose that is what death really is there are parts of us that still survive there are parts of us that go forward there are lots of uh, bugs that we have and, and, and 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 tissue that won't terminate for a while is that correct
1: Right, all the body parts die at different rates. Some last a little bit longer than others. The first ones to go really probably is the brain. Uh, You you look for the organs that really burn a lot of oxygen that need a lot of energy and have a a high level of metabolism. The brain, the heart, um, those take a while. That has, I mean, in a practical sense, that has real implications for organ transplants, for example. You know, kidneys, livers, and things like that actually can last a bit longer, hearts are more perishable. Um, but you know, this is it's a very difficult area uh, because I think the underlying science is not well known. And I think neuroscience right now is probably one of the very few remaining big questions in biology. So that and maybe the origin of life is another big question, but neuroscience is a really big one. How the brain actually functions in a mechanical way. And that is a problem for figuring out a lot of the issues around consciousness, I think. So how those things are connected aren't well understood at this point because actually how the brain, I mean, Parts of how the brain works are known, but for example, the code, if you will, of how the neurons connect to one another and create memories and so forth is just not understood at this point. And we know that it makes connections. We know that there are chemicals that pass between them and so forth, but how that information is stored in there is just not known. So complicates the issue a great deal
0: so so these neurons obviously are not only limited to as they exist in in the brain and the brain function correct i mean can these neurons not uh create patterns in other part of the body that could survive or create some kind of consciousness after the they don't cease to exist in the brain anymore well, I should point out that
1: there are neurons that travel you know they right. the axons for those neurons mm-hmm. travel all the way from down your spine and out and to, to your toes and your fingertips. So they are in other parts of your body. The great mass of them clearly are in the in your head mm-hmm. and as, and form the brain. Is there any other consciousness? Um, you know it, it depends on how probably on how you define consciousness mm-hmm. here because you know, if I, you know, hold a, a match here to Matthew, if I want to be mean to Matthew here and-
0: <laughs> now please don't. <laughs> start to burn him or something,
1: he will jerk his hand away even before he realizes what's happening because there are masses of neurons, ganglions at various points that can receive that input going this way, going toward the brain, but they can send a signal back without it getting to the brain. But it's, it's a reactionary sort of thing. There's, as far as we know, there's any, no consciousness or thought or anything like that attached to it. It's just a reaction that is actually protective because you don't want to leave your hand in a flame longer than you need to. So you need to pull it out as fast as you can.
0: Uh, and it's also, sort
1: of, you jump sometimes when you hear a loud noise and then you sort of hear the noise almost afterwards. And that's because once again those nerves those those nerve masses cause you to jump to protect yourself It's an evolutionary thing I'm sure
0: so I think you can see how fascinating this 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 all is, and I think we've come to a point now when we've kind of uh, we have a, a basis I think people watching or listening could understand what the topics are and how we going to go from here. I think what we're going to do is uh, Gary and Matthew and I are going to continue meeting and having coffee or tea in Matthew's case, I think, and, uh, and, and see where we want to take the discussion from here. Uh, but before we sign off, and we, uh, I just want to ask Matthew and, and, and Gary to tell people where, if they want to get a hold of your books, where should they go and search search for those. You see, you said CRC Press. Would they have a? If you went there, would they have a list of? Uh, well, of you topics? could go there,
1: but the probably the way most you you can always go to a publisher. Mm-hmm. But the way that's most easy for most people is either to, to go to one of the booksellers, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or uh, any other bookseller.
0: And then and just put in
1: the making of. Um, san francisco bay for example and it'll show up all three books will show up even puget sound although it's not right. published
0: yet and also it'll show up if, if they, they input your names like gary howard matthew yes. Kaiser. Right. Kaiser is k-a-s-e-r all right That's well correct. thank you very much um thank you for You're joining welcome. us today and let's do this again if you guys are up for it very good thank Excellent.
2: you thank you very much all of you